Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers and the greatest detective show on earth. I wish I could find that Johnny Dollar Airlines for $10 fare. Enjoy some great Johnny Dollar episodes right here. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Is this Mr. Dollar, the insurance gentleman? That's right. Well, this is Captain Lyle Woodstock. Yes, I did. Your insurance company wanted me to look into this trouble with your wife. I wonder when I could see you. At your convenience, but it's not trouble yet. It's quite possible that nothing is wrong at all. Oh? I understood you were worried about her disappearance, that you hadn't heard from her in over a week. Isn't that it? Yes, but, uh, well, I'll explain it all to you. But as I said, in spite of her absence, it's entirely possible that nothing is wrong at all. All right, Captain Woodstock. I'll be out to talk with you this afternoon. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Washingtonian Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Celia Woodstock matter. Expense account item one, $25.50, car rental and mileage to the Woodstock home off the highway just east of Bridgeport. There was a large frame house shuttered against the cold. Icy landscaping swept down to the shore where an empty dock stood against the winter wind blowing across Long Island Sound. Captain Lyle Woodstock, please. Yes, uh, you are Mr. Dollar? That's right. Uh, come inside. Thanks. I am Captain Woodstock. Nice of you to come out. Nasty wind, isn't it? Well, it wasn't blowing like this in Hartford. Quite often windy here in the Sound. I'm afraid you'll have to leave your coat here. Uh, it's fine. I discharged the servants, all of them. Good to stomach their attitude in Celia's departure. Come along. We'll talk in the library. How did you happen to turn to your insurance company, Mr. Woodstock? Yes, it would seem unusual, wouldn't it? It seems unusual that they would bother with it, unless they thought she'd met with bodily harm. But you told me you don't think so. Yeah, after you, Mr. Dollar. Thanks. I'm afraid I was guilty of a certain amount of deception when I spoke to Mr. Uh... Uh, at the Washingtonian Company? Miller, Sam Miller. Yes, Mr. Miller. Through a delicate choice of words, I'm afraid I intimated that I was frightened for Celia's very life. Sit down. Why the deception? Well, naturally, to interest them in the situation and uh, with a purpose, Mr. Dollar. Couldn't you afford uh, to hire a private detective? My good man, I've wasted a considerable amount of money doing just that. It was from the stumbling idiot that I received the news of Celia's disappearance. He was following her? He had been for a month until he lost her. I'd entertained certain suspicions about Celia. What's this investigator's name? Slater. Mr. David Slater. He was recommended as the best in Bridgeport. Considering his dismal failure, uh, you surely understand why I felt it necessary to turn to someone else. My insurance company struck me as a wise choice, since there's a large policy on her life. All right. I'll talk to this later. Now, will you give me everything you can on your wife? Description, so on? Yes. Uh, they're on the table. I brought out a few photos. Hmm. Brunette. Yeah. How old? 27. Yeah, that one uh, was snapped on Doctor's Cave Beach on Jamaica. Striking woman, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, this one was taken while we were anchored off Hilo last summer. You get around. Travel has its advantages, Mr. Dollar. Your boat? Yes, 64-foot schooner in dry dock at the moment. As a matter of fact, I met Celia because on an impulse, I put into Pia Della Cuesta instead of Acapulco. And it seemed that she, too, wanted to travel. Where do you think she's traveling now? I haven't the faintest idea. I started to tell you I'd been troubled by a certain suspicion. She was in seeing entirely too much of a young doctor in Bridgeport. His name is Masterson, Dr. Charles Masterson. You think he could have had something to do with her disappearance? Is that what you mean? No, I shouldn't like to say. I believe that she is a quite perfect 
physical specimen, uh, yet she visited this doctor fellow at least three times a week. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes. We were in Acapulco two years ago. The rest of the story wasn't too far from typical, although I don't meet too many of the breed. A, the 55-year-old Woodstock, captain because he owned and gave orders on the schooner, had dedicated his life to what he called adventure. And B, the 27-year-old Celia had also dedicated her life to what she called adventure. The results were a number of voyages, and finally, Celia Woodstock's disappearance. Except for the doctor, I didn't learn what had gone on between I found the private investigator, David Slater, in a conservatively crummy suite of offices on Front Street in Bridgeport. Madam, do you know what type he is? Yes, I followed his wife. How did she do? I've got a report on every move she made for a month. You want to see it? No, not if you remember the highlights. What about this Dr. Charles Masterson? Doctors are hard to pin down, you know that. She went to his office three times a week, but never met him anyplace else. Maybe she was sick. Her husband says no. Well, I didn't find out. I couldn't have talked to the doctor without letting out who I was. He had a nurse who quit the day before I left the case. You didn't talk to her? I was going to, but after I left, I didn't. Why should I? Do you know who she is, where I can find her? Yeah. Her name is Janet Squire. She went to work in a Red Cross blood collection center up on Union. Mm, good, thanks. Now, what about the day she dropped out of sight? Was there anything special? Sure, there was something special. I wouldn't have lost her. I'm no rookie in this business. She bought a ticket to New York City on the 345. So did I. I got in the same car she did. I didn't see her, but I figured she was powdering her nose or something. Then when she didn't show before the train left, I went through the rest of the cars. But I never picked her up after that. She knew you were tailing her, huh? She must have. Must have got on the car and then right off. That and the money she drew out of the bank makes me think she was running out on old Woodstock and nothing else. No money was mentioned to me. That's funny. Woodstock knew about it. $2,000 the morning she left. Hmm. I wonder what else the old renegade is holding out on me. The phone call she made? No, you didn't say anything about any phone calls? Well, she made quite a few from public booths. I finally got into one next to her. I couldn't get the number, but she talked to somebody named Ray. Didn't say much but the name, and then asked, where do you want me to meet you? When she was answered, she said, all right, I'll let you know when everything is arranged. And that's all. Well, that's enough for me. If he thinks he's got a free wife chaser in me, he's mistaken. You going to drop it? Sure, if that's the way it is. I gave up that kind of work a long time ago. I don't like it. What's this? Where's Woodstock? Close the door. If you do anything else, I'll kill you. What's happened? Who are you? Stay away from me. I smell cordite. You fired a gun. Where's Woodstock? He's gone. You come this way now. Move down the hallway. Why? I'll kill you if you don't. Came in here. Now you've got to do what I tell you or I'll kill you. Come on. You better turn around and look at me. Walk backwards. You don't even know who I am. You're in trouble. Maybe I can help Never you. Never mind that. Hobnob, turn around again. Open the door and get in the closet. Now, wait a minute. Please, mister. Please do what I tell you. It won't make any difference if I kill you. Maybe I'd have more of a chance if I did. But I, I won't if you don't make me. Okay. Now, close the door. I heard him open and close some nearby doors, and shortly after that, the front door closed. Then I started kicking my way out. The paneling was heavy and it cost a torn trouser leg and a scraped shin before I made it. Mrs. Woodstock? Mrs. Woodstock? Hello? Hello, operator! 
given himself some more time by pulling out the phone wires. But it took less than five minutes for me to cover some 200 yards to the nearest neighbor, explain myself, and get through to the Bridgeport police. A short time after that, I met Homicide Lieutenant Al Jester and with him watched two ambulance attendants start Mrs. Woodstock toward the hospital. Now, what's the condition, boys? Can you tell? It's bad, Lieutenant. Her right lung. No chance of a statement? Well, we'll do what we can, Lieutenant. Well, I guess it depends on her, how hard or easy this thing is going to be. Yeah, but better not count on her. I've been disappointed too often. Uh, what else did Slater tell you? Oh, that's about all. She'd drawn $2,000 the day he lost her on the train. He said he'd heard her talking on the phone to somebody named Sprague about where to meet him and about some arrangements of some kind. Now, what about Slater? Is he clean? Well, if he isn't, he's careful and he stays out of trouble. I guess the worst thing I can say about him is that he does a lot of divorce snooping. Why? I just wondered. I had no reason not to believe his story. He said as far as he was concerned, the girl was running out on her husband. The more I saw of it, the more it looked that way to me, too. And I came out here to drop the case and it blew up in my face. The man he described, uh, could he have been this spring? Well, he could have. I didn't ask him. He was half crazy. If he was Sprague and I'd thrown the name at him, I'm afraid he'd have killed me. He was that bad. Can you describe the gun? Yeah. Cheap revolver, nickel-plated, short barrel, thirty-two caliber. You sure of that? Well, I guess a smart lawyer could keep you from swearing it was a thirty-two, but it was. I'll take that. I got only one definite thing out of him. He said Woodstock was gone. That's all he'd say. Then he put me in the closet. I didn't hear him drive away. I was kicking up some noise getting through that door. But the people in the house where I phoned said they saw it leave. The next house that way. Oh, Sergeant. Yeah, next house towards town. People saw a car leave. Send a man over and get what you can on it, will you? Yeah, all right. Said so they didn't hear any shooting. You didn't see a car when you got here? No, it must have been parked on the other side of the house. Then I'll get it roped off. Yeah. Snow ought to hold some good prints of tires. Uh, did I get the amount of the insurance on the victim right? One hundred thousand dollars. Lieutenant Jester. Yeah. Better go upstairs. They were shooting up there, too. Oh, where? In the hallway toward the back. Garrett says the man lying sort of half into a room, but there's no question about it. This one, he's dead. We will return you to the second act of yours, Julie Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. Have you heard the new Sing It Again, the new comedy with Jan Murray as your host on the Coast to Coast phone? The new cash prizes for cracking the mystery of Sing It Again Phantom Voice. The new speed and color of the tuneful little riddle songs that make Sing It Again a Saturday night must for radio listening. Be listening for Sing It Again tonight on most of these same CBS stations. Now with our star Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. any of the light switches. Right back there. Oh, yeah. I see. Woodstock. Let me see. Yeah? So it is. And get some light on in the room. The shutter's all closed. Push the switch for something that won't hurt Prince. Yes, sir. Chuck, you ought to do it. Shot from behind. Here's a gun on the floor, Lieutenant. That guy told you Woodstock had gone, darling. He couldn't have been more right, could he? Oh, I guess not. Well, let's get out of here until the photographers show up. Neither the photographers nor the fingerprint men, nor a thorough search of the house, resulted in any progress. By the end of that first day, the description of the man I tangled with had been broadcast along with a possible description of the car he was driving. The police had also put out a futile search on the single name Sprague. And Celia Woodstock hadn't died, but she hadn't regained consciousness either or shown any signs of recovery. I took a hotel room in Bridgeport that night where I'd be called if and when anything happened. Nothing did. The next morning, I went to the Red Cross Blood Collection Center to talk with a nurse who had recently resigned the office of Celia Woodstock's friend and or doctor. I'd come in with my mind tossing motives for murder around, motives of personal greed and selfishness and hate. There was almost...
almost a shock to suddenly face a segment of this country. Citizens, old ones, young ones, men and women, quietly going about the business of helping the best way they knew how. I stayed to give my own blood after Janet Squire talked with me, and I knew it would go overseas in the best of company. We can go in here, Mr. Dobbs. Thank you. I'm sorry to bother you, Miss Squire, but I was told that you were in Dr. Charles Masterson's office until a short time ago. Yes, that's right. Have you seen the morning papers? No. Why do you ask? Mrs. Lyle Woodstock was shot last evening. Mrs. Woodstock? Hmm. Well, she's one of Dr. Masterson's patients. Was she uh, seriously injured? They don't know if she lived. Her husband was killed at the same time. How dreadful. What happened? I don't know. I'm working with the police on it. I'd like to learn as much as I can about Mrs. Woodstock. Well, I'm afraid I know very little. She was a patient, but other than that, I know nothing. Her husband seemed to have the idea that she might be more than just a patient. That there might have been romantic interest between them. Uh-huh. Was there? Well, not that I know of. I make it a point to do very little prying into other people's affairs, Mr. Dollar. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could. Do you know anything about anyone named Sprague? Sprague? No, I'm afraid I don't. I'm sorry. So am I. I, uh, I hope the results are better when you start working on me. <laughs> I am sorry, Mr. Dollar. If you'll step right through there, Miss File will take care of you. A telephone check with Lieutenant Jester about an hour later added nothing. He'd been in communication with Mexican authorities, but they were unable to come up with any leads on Celia Woodstock or even proof that she'd been in the Acapulco vicinity two years ago when Woodstock had told me he'd married her. Homicide men were searching the captain's schooner, and they were still working on the name Sprague. I played my last card and went to see Dr. Masterson. But, Mr. Dollar, I'm sure you realize why my name mustn't be dragged into it. It won't be if it doesn't belong there, Doctor. Why, there was absolutely no basis for his suspicions. Whatever made him say anything like that? He had a detective following her. He had an idea she came to your office too often. Then why didn't he talk to her? He did. He said something about a sinus condition and heat treatment. That's precisely the truth. I resent your attitude, Mr. Dollar. That puts us on a par. Your attitude doesn't set so well with me. Keeping your name out of this case isn't as important as clearing it up, no matter what you think. But I know nothing about it. You must have talked to the woman. As often as she was here, you must have become fairly well acquainted. Mm, no better acquainted than with most of my patients. Well, I don't ask for any more. What did she talk about? Why, the conversations were unimportant. Talked about her travels. They'd come here from Florida to have some work done on their yacht. You talk about her husband? Yes, occasionally. General things. Like what? I realized that he was much older than she was, but that she was quite satisfied with their marriage and their life together. That's what makes his suspicions of me so ridiculous. She was happy with him. Never anything about unhappiness, about leaving him? No, they were planning on a trip to South America in a few months. Dr. Masterson, did she ever mention anyone named Sprague? Sprague? Yeah, Sprague. I... Uh... This is one of the strangest things that's happened to me in a long time. Why? She went to pieces because of that name. Completely and helplessly to pieces. Just before she stopped coming for treatment. What happened? The last visit she made. The afternoon about a week ago. Someone telephoned and asked for a Mrs. Emil Sprague. My nurse and receptionist called in and asked if Mrs. Sprague could answer the phone. Was the nurse Miss Squire? No, no, she'd just left me. It was Miss Hall, who didn't know my patients by name. But when Mrs. Woodstock heard the name Sprague, she went into hysterics. I gave her a sedative. When she was calmed, I wanted to ask her about what had happened. But, well, I didn't. There was something about her that begged me not to. I decided to wait until she came back. But uh, she never did. Well, it's Amos Sprague now. I'm uh, sorry I was hesitant, Mr. Dollar. Well, it's in the works now. Let's see what we can make out of it. How's Mrs. Woodstock? Still alive. Chest wounds are bad, though. Now, here's how the shooting stacks up so far. She was wounded by 38 caliber slugs. 
Her husband was killed by 32s. So if you were right on your gun description, the man you ran into killed the husband. What does that leave? Woodstock killing his wife? He was shot from behind while I was going into the upstairs room. Badly chased up there. He had a gun in his hand, and he dropped when he was hit. That was the gun we found on the floor. 38 caliber. Ballistics hasn't run any comparison tests yet? No. And I won't buy the theory. Mr. and Mrs. Woodstock seem to have been pretty happy. What about their schooner? Well, I talked to my men on the phone. Nothing yet. Crewmen are all available and with alibis. So what's all that got to do with somebody named Mrs. Emil Sprague? I couldn't answer him. Nobody could. But close to 12 that night, the lieutenant phoned me that Mrs. Woodstock was finally responding to treatment and would likely live. I was at the hospital at 12.30, but it wasn't until almost 3 that Lieutenant Jester and I were told that she was conscious and able to answer some questions. Good morning, Miss Woodstock. Feeling better? My name is Lieutenant Jester. This is Mr. Dollar. Hello, Mrs. Woodstock. We're, uh, we're both interested in what happened at your house the other evening. Mrs. Woodstock, do you understand what we're saying to you? Do you understand? My husband. My husband smiled. They told me he was all right. Is he? Yes, Mrs. Woodstock. He was shot. They tell you that? Yes. You know who did it? Yes, I know. I was there. I remember. We wish you'd tell us, Mrs. Woodstock. Amos Sprague? Yes. Yes, Amos. No one else was there. He made me go. Made you go where? To my house. To talk to my husband. Amos Sprague made you go? Why? How could he make you go? Because I'm Mrs. Amos. You are Mrs. Amos Sprague? But you were married to Mr. Woodstock. I shouldn't have. I think I understand. You were married to Sprague. Your marriage to him was never ended, but you married Woodstock anyway. Yes. I was wrong. I lied. I didn't tell him. And then it was money. He wanted money. Sprague. Yes. I didn't know where he was from Mexico. I had to get away. And I married my husband. That's all that matters. I'm afraid it isn't. Sprague followed you here. From Florida. I begged him not to. The $2,000 you drew from your bank? I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't enough. He made me stay with him. And made me go with him for some more money. And my husband. I tried to make him understand and he wouldn't. He blamed me and called me things. He went to the drawer. Oh, why didn't he shoot Amos instead of me? Are you sure of that? Woodstock shot you? Going to the drawer. I remember. Turning around with a gun. And that's all. You know where Sprague would go? What happened? Why did he? What is my husband saying? He hasn't said anything. Evidently, Sprague chased him upstairs, shot him there, and left. Do you know where he'd go? Back to Florida. No, we don't think so. We got a good description of him and the car he was driving. I think he's still in Bridgeport someplace. You said you were with him. Where? He had a room on Commercial Street, 713. Rooming house? No, it's a big building. Uh, apartment. Now, which one is Spring? It's um, number 12 on the second floor. Do you have a phone in the room? Yes. Pleasant 2132. Well, thank you. We won't bother you anymore. Thank you, Mrs. Woodstock. I want to help my husband. I'll do anything I can. I want him to know that. Well, we'll tell him, Mrs. Woodstock. It's a little after three. Roger's trucks are going to be rolling on Commercial Street before long. Think Sprague will give us trouble? Yeah. Yeah, if he's been holed up since the shooting, I think he's probably farther off as not the one I saw him. We might slip on him this time in the morning. I'll get some men started out there. You better come with me. Mm, sure. I need you to identify.
Got it, Lieutenant. Men should be set in the back of the building. All right, Sergeant. You'll go in with me. Don and I took a look at the floor. It's that corner one up there. There's a door to another room right across from here, so we want to keep him from firing if we can. We didn't warn anybody because we want to keep it quiet. Hope it stays that way. All right, Sergeant. Let's go across. Good luck. Lieutenant, the window, he's onto it. We'd better go on across. He's onto it. I've been watching at the window. I, I saw him move. Well, you better see what you can do on the phone then, Dollar. Phone? We thought if you couldn't catch him off guard, we'd try and talk him out. There's a payphone in the hallway. His room's just to the right at the top of the stairs there. That phone's right in line from up there. And yeah, we'll cover him. Okay, Dollar, if you're ready. something with it. Hello? Hello, Sprague? Yeah? We just got a complete statement from Mrs. Woodstock. You blackmail the works. She, she, she's alive? Yeah, and she's going to make it. I thought she was dead. I saw her fall. I, I, I killed him because I thought she was dead. If I'd known, I, I wouldn't have killed him. I should have found out. You should have done a lot of things. What we want you to do right now is to give yourself up without any trouble. Every door in the building is covered by police. You won't get out if you try. We want you to come out of your room and down the stairs with your hands out where we can see them. You understand that? Are you listening to me? Come on, Sprague. Come on out and make it... Stairs, look out! Get down, darling! Stay there, Sergeant! It's all right. Sprague? Ah. He's dead, Lieutenant. Sergeant. Yes, sir? I'll go phone in. Keep the people away as best you can. Okay. Expense account item two, $45, miscellaneous, hotel, meals, etc., Expense account total, $73.60. Remarks? I understand the lawyers for the Woodstock estate are already measuring ways and means to cut the bigamous wife out of the estate. I don't think the Washingtonian company has a chance of doing the same with the insurance money. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is a Paramount Picture production, The Redhead and the Cowboy. Featured in tonight's cast were Francis X. Bushman, Jim Nusser, Ted Osborne, Lorraine Tuttle, Bill Johnstone, Tudor Owen, and Ray Hartman. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dick Cutting inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. There's a very charming, very amusing young couple to be found at CBS, the star's address, every Saturday evening. And you're invited to stop by and call on them. They're Liz and George Cooper... And Liz is played by the lovely red-haired Hollywood comedian, Lucille Ball. Liz is nice and easygoing. When trouble's ahead, Liz goes for it easily. It's wonderfully hilarious. It's My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball, every Saturday evening on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you laugh at Jack Benny every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, my name is Ed Best. I'm in the investment department of the financial surety company. Oh, sure, I've worked for the company. Uh, Yes, Bruce Hardwick told me about you. I have something I'd like to have you look into. What is it? Briefly. A few years ago, we bought controlling interest in the Stanley Springs Company, an organization in the Southwest that deals in cotton and a couple of gins. I just got a letter from out there to the effect that behind the scenes, company is carrying on illegal traffic across the Mexican border. Uh-huh. How close a check do you keep on the outfit? Our accountant goes out for a quarterly examination, and he certainly reported nothing suspicious, but uh, we businessmen aren't trained to handle smuggling organizations, if one does exist. Yeah, well, training is very seldom enough, but I'll come down this afternoon and talk it over with you. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And as his special guest this evening. Yours truly, August San Juan. Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Financial Surety Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Stanley Springs matter. Expense account item one, $1.75 cab fare from my apartment to Hartford's insurance row and the financial security offices. Mr. Best? Come on in, Mr. Dollar. Happy to meet you. Bruce praised you quite highly. Huh? I know Bruce well enough to suspect he was selling me so he wouldn't have to take the trip himself. I doubt that. Not be that as it may. Sit down. Thank you. Um, Here's the letter I mentioned to you. Very brief. Uh, Unsigned. He's not generous with details, is he? No, nothing but a bald accusation. What does he call it? Illegal shipment? Yeah. What do you make of it? I don't know. Stanley Springs Stationery. Must be an employee. Maybe a crank. Yes, that had occurred to us. You have no reason to think that what he says is true, is that right? Good Lord, no. We've had the faintest suspicions we would have investigated them. Don't you think it would be a good idea to turn the matter over to the federal people? After discussing it, we decided that it wouldn't be a good idea. At this time, there's not enough. Perhaps there's nothing behind the letter. We decided to carry out our own investigation first. And then, if there's basis, we'll turn to the federal agency. <laughs> That was about it from the Hartford end. My only instruction was to keep secret, if possible, my identity and the investigation. Expense account item two, $135 transportation. First by air, then by train, then by bus to Stanley Springs. I arrived there late in the afternoon, and at first I couldn't see the true character of the town. It was dusty, set in a depression of the desert that's called Stanley Springs Valley. It was a company-built town, two dirty street saloons, a few cafes and stores made up the center of town. The rest was a cluster of identical white dwellings. There was only one small hotel, and I checked into it under the curious glance of a dark-haired girl who knocked on the door a few minutes after I'd gotten to my room. Ah, hello. Hello. Are you busy? I, uh, I know, not at the moment. Then could I come in? Sure. Sure, I don't see why not. I, uh, I'm not quite ready to receive visitors. I, I don't have anything to offer you but a cigarette. I don't want anything. I only wanted to talk to you. My name is Anne, and I live here in the hotel. You don't see many strangers here in Stanley Springs. Well, I'm that all right. Sit down. Why are you here? Hmm. Taking a look at a lot of organizations like the Stanley Springs Company, I, uh, I'm going to write an article for a textiles magazine. You are from the East? Yeah, New York. You? I lived in Denver before I came here. And I have been in Fort Worth and Tucson and Phoenix. Why do you want to write about the company? Well, I'm being paid to by a lot of men who own controlling interest in a lot of companies, and they're too fat and wealthy to come out themselves to find out how they earn their money. You don't like these men. I can take them or leave them alone. What do you do? I work in one of the clubs. Clubs? 
Isn't that a pretty fancy name for them? I know. They don't look like much in the daytime. But at night, you see. Mm-hmm. Does the company own these clubs? I think they sold them. That was before I came here. I take it I can drop my money on a craft table if I want to. Yes, there are games in all of them. Oh, but you aren't interested in that. And I'm talking too much. Do you want me to go? No, of course not. I'm glad you came. Then so am I. It's good to have someone new to talk to. She stayed about an hour, long enough for me to learn, among other things, that her name was Anne Salava and that she sang. It seemed to me then that she, as well as I, was leaving things unsaid. And I wondered if her warm, friendly, and seemingly honest approach wouldn't be a good method of learning why any stranger dropped into Stanley Springs. I didn't do anything that first evening and night but recover from my long 15 hours of travel. The next morning, I started out on the only lead I had, the unsigned two-sentence note on company stationery. There were three men in the Stanley Springs office when I got there. One of them was Norman Steger, manager. Well, that's interesting, Mr. Dollar. What sections have you been through in your survey? I uh, came up through the southeastern states, then through Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, California, now here. Quite an extensive trip. They seem to think it's worth it. Uh, You will find us about the same as the rest of the ginning concerns, except the ones that handle American upland cotton. They use saw gins. We use uh, roller gins. You'll find nothing new here. I won't bother you, Mr. Steger. I'd like to talk to your personnel, go through your warehouses. Could I meet the men here in the office? Yes, you can meet them, but I'd rather you didn't talk to them until after we close tonight. We have a lot of work this week. I'm sure. Anything you say. Well, come on. Ah, uh, Phillips. Yes? Uh, meet Mr. Dollar. Came out from the east to look over our plant. How do you do? Phillips. Phillips is our chief clerk. Mr. Dollar is going to write a magazine article. Oh, I see. I want you to help him with any information he wants, Phillips, uh, but not until after hours. All right. Phillips is through at five. You can meet him then. Fine. I'll see you, Mr. Phillips. Yes. That's five. Uh, this is uh, Childs over here. He's our shipping clerk. Mr. Dollar Childs. Hello, Mr. Childs. Howdy. You're going to ride us up, huh? Well, I'll try not to get in the way. Say, uh, you've got a shipment going out this morning, haven't you, Childs? Yeah. Maybe Mr. Dollar can go out and watch the bales being loaded. That won't slow things down. Oh, sure. I'm going out now. Good. You can get an idea of the size of our shipments. We send one about like this every other week. <laughs> Like with a girl, there was nothing there in the office that I could put my finger on. Only things to wonder about. Like the quick look Phillips the clerk threw at me when I was introduced and something about the tone Steger used with him. I went through the formalities of watching the loading operation and noting the number of bales and then returned to Steger's office for my meeting with Phillips. Oh, are you making out? All right, Steger. Phillips here? No, he isn't. He was uh, feeling sick this afternoon. Let him go home at about 2.30. Oh? What's the matter with him? I don't know. Something with his stomach. I think he worries too much. It would seem like he'd have very much to worry about in his job. No, he wouldn't, but I guess it can be quite a strain if you let it. Now, me, I don't worry about anything. Well, that's the way to be, all right. I'll find him at home then, I guess, or uh, if he doesn't feel good, I can wait till tomorrow. You'd better catch him. Maybe he's sicker than he thinks. What do you mean? Just what I said. Maybe he's in worse shape than he realizes. I hope not. Why do you say that, Mr. Steger? Well, it just seemed to me that he acted kind of funny when I introduced you to him this morning. Didn't you notice? No, I guess I didn't. I've had my doubts about him for quite a while. I think there's something wrong with him. Like what? Something about his past that he's hiding. I've even thought he may have had a criminal record. When he met you, it was almost like he was afraid you'd come out here after him. Easy enough to check if you wanted to. We could phone the state authorities. Oh, not yet, Dollar. Let's wait till after you talk to him. Find out how he reacts. Lives in number 18. That's on First Street. Okay, Steger, thanks. I'll go right over. I would. Let me know how you find out. I was almost positive then who'd written the note and that there was something behind it. I banged on the door of number 18 for a reasonable length of time and then forced my way in. Phillips wasn't there, and according to some unwashed dishes, hadn't been there since breakfast. 
I found only one thing that pointed someplace, a photograph of the girl, Ann Salava. I didn't find her at the hotel when I got back, so at eight that night I walked into the club where she worked. She was singing as I entered. You came to my room yesterday because you were expecting somebody to show up in the East. Am I right? Who are you really, Johnny? Who did Phillips write the letter to? You were sent here by the owners of the company? Yes, that's right. The letter got there then. You didn't know if it had been mailed. It got there. They were following Irving. And he was sure they saw him give the letter to the man. They asked him about it and he told them he hadn't. He gave it to somebody else because he couldn't mail it himself? They were following him. And this stuff about traffic across the border is true, huh? Yes. Why did Phillips write the letter? He wanted to leave Stanley Springs, but they wouldn't let him. Because he knew about the smuggling? Yes. He didn't have anything to do with it, and he didn't try to find out about it. But he learned about it, and they knew it. So they couldn't let him leave. Yeah. How much do you know about it, Anne? It's narcotics. A cotton grower right in the border brings it up. Doesn't that put you on about the same spot as Phillips? They won't let me leave. Irving wrote the letter because the only thing we could do was to tell somebody else about it. And now you know. We'll do something about it. What, Johnny? I'm going to get word out. I'm going to call the nearest Treasury Department office. Oh, no, Johnny. This is Stanley Springs. The company owns everything, and Sega has thought of everything. There's only one telephone in town. That's in the company office. Mm-hmm. I'll have to use that one, I guess. You go back to your room. I'll get word out some way. It's pretty obvious that I wasn't going to get word out. It was 4.30 in the morning when I left the hotel, but two men were waiting for me in the street. Hey, Charlotte! Huh? Oh, it's you, child. Late. I could ask the same thing of you. <laughs> you get a lot of information from Phillips for that article you're writing? I think you know more about Phillips than I do. Well, 
The way he acted when he met you, I thought he was afraid of you. I wondered if you'd seen him. What are you driving at, Childs? I didn't see him. I went to his house. He wasn't there. He wasn't? Well, that's funny. I saw him go in about 8.30 and 9 last night. Maybe I ought to try again. Yeah, I guess so. You know, you can't start too early in Stanley Springs. Thanks for the tip. I'll go right over. I figured it for a cat-and-mouse game. They wanted me to find Phillips, and I did. Phillips was dead from a bullet wound in his temple. The thirty-eight revolver was still held in his right hand. Except for one completely worthless bit of evidence, Irving Phillips' death was apparently a result of suicide. Turn you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. There have been some changes made, and it's faster, it's funnier, it's got new life and a brand new punch because Dan Murray's taken over. What show is this? Why, CBS's Saturday night musical quiz, Sing It Again. That hour of melody, mirth, and money that's heard on most of these same CBS stations. Yes, Jan Murray is your new host. Alan Dale, Judy Lynn, the Riddlers, and Ray Block are your music makers. And there are still loads and loads of cash for identifying the phantom voice. Be sure to hear the new Sing It Again, starring Jan Murray tonight on CBS. Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. A brief and faltering examination of the scene was made about an hour later by an aged deputy sheriff, Stanley Springs' only law enforcement officer. He didn't ask for a statement. I didn't offer one, because I knew it would be useless. I watched the removal of Philip's body, and then with Childs and the other man following me, I went back to the hotel. Yes? Who is it? Johnny, I have to see you. I didn't think I could sleep. I don't know what he meant to you, but I don't have time to pull any punches. Phillips is dead. I thought he would be. Because they didn't want him to talk to me. Here's the key to my room. I want you to get out of this one. Stay in mine. Don't answer if anybody knocks. Don't say anything. All right, Johnny. What about you? I'll be all right. I'll get back to you as fast as I can. The two men still tailing me, I found an early cafe and spent some time over coffee. I knew what their mission was, but to check it, I started toward the bus station at a little after 7.30. When I got within a block of it, they started to close in, and they were ready to jump me when I reached the point directly across the street from it. It looked like I was in Stanley Springs to stay. At a quarter past eight, I walked into the company office again. Dollar. I was hoping you'd come in. I wanted to talk to you about what? Why, about Phillips, of course. I told you I wondered about his past. Behind his suicide anyway, do you know? I know it wasn't suicide, Steger. That'll help you. Why, of course it was. The gun was found in the man's hand, wasn't it? Yeah, but he still smelled of chloroform when I saw him. Chloroform? That wasn't mentioned to me. Well, I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. I understand the traces disappear in a short time. But let's understand each other. You and I know that he was chloroformed, that when he was unconscious, a gun was put in his hand, that it was pointed at his head, and somebody helped him pull the trigger. You saw this happen? It happened. But the tests will prove that his hand fired the gun. You and probably a couple of your men know he was murdered, and I know it. As far as proof goes, you're safe. For a textile writer, you seem to know quite a bit about these things. I think we understand each other now, Steger. I hope you do. I know you've been sitting on a good thing probably for a long time. The whole town has been a front for you. You control everything. But trying to control me is a different proposition. I guess I didn't realize that. Your men have made it clear that they won't let me leave town. Things will change. You're right, they will. The people who sent me out here suspect you're dealing in contraband. What do you think they'll do? Forget it if they don't hear from me according to plan? You can worry about that, Dollar. I'm not going to. 
I don't know what you're talking about. You made a lot of empty accusations. The only reason I can think of is that you're a stupid, stumbling bum. Well, if it's that way, I guess you won't mind my using your phone. Get away from it. Child! Put it down. Stop him, child! Move, Clancy! Put it down, dollar. Yeah, behind it, Clancy. Now, let me have him. Huh. Hey, come on, get up, dollar. Get away. Come on, get up. Let go! Yeah, sure, sure, I'll let go. Yeah, that's enough, child. Uh, uh, empty accusation, Steger. The company rule. Nobody uses that phone but employees. Now, get out of here and get yourself cleaned up. Isn't Peter the man that's worst of all, Ann? He's been toying with me ever since I got here, leading me around. Showing me the murder he committed because he knows he'll get away with it. Oh, please sit down, John. Yeah. So I can put something on your face. I know what he's doing and I can't stop him. I think this will hurt. This is very bad. I'm sorry. You're going to hold me here until he gets rid of the narcotics evidence. Then there won't be a thing I can prove against him. Oh, wait, John. You're sorry. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Does it hurt? Yeah, that one does. There's only this one more. There. You aren't very pretty now, Johnny. Uh, come here. Yes. How can you be so calm about this? Aren't you afraid of them? I've been afraid of a lot of things. What things? I don't want to talk about them, Johnny. I've made my life the way it is. I didn't have to come to Stanley Springs. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Why do you want to know about this? It's been less than 24 hours, but it seems like I've known you for a long time. I know. I guess meeting like this in trouble does that sort of thing to people. I have heard that life goes very fast when there is danger. Oh, you haven't slept and you should. Do you want me to go? No. I don't want you to go, not for a while. All right, Johnny. I've been trying to think what this day would have been without you. If I've helped you, I'm glad. Only a few times in my life when I've been driven to the point where I could kill a man. I reached it today, and Steger and his men kicked me out of that office. I think if you hadn't been here, I, I would have gone back to it. Oh, I think it would be better if you forgot all about that. Forgot it? I'm afraid that's a luxury that's not allowed me. I'm not paid to forget. Even for a little while? I'll only stay for a little while. You haven't slept in your shoes. But tell me about yourself. Where you live. I've learned so many things about you. That was the last time I saw Anne Salivar. She stayed an hour, maybe less. When she'd gone, I slept. There hadn't been any secrets left between Norman Steger and me after our last meeting. I told him what I knew, and he told me how he felt. Because of that, I thought Ann Salivar was no longer in danger as a giver of information. That's why I let her leave. But after I'd rested, I went to her room, and she wasn't there. The desk clerk told me that she left with two men, and his description came close enough to fitting Childs and the other man who'd been following me. This time, when I started for the Stanley Springs office, I was carrying an automatic. Well, Mr. Dollar, I thought you'd had enough out of this office. That's just why I came back. Where is she? Who? Look, the time for tossing words around is gone, Childs. Where is she? You know, a gun don't make you mayor of this town. You use it, you'll be cut down before you can move a hundred yards. I won't have to use it if you tell me where she is. I don't know what you're talking about. Where's Steger? He's out. Where? I don't know. Where, Childs? I... I don't know. You took her out of the hotel. The clerk told me that. Where'd you take her? What did you do with her? I... I don't know what you're talking about. Understand this, Childs. I'll kill you if I have to. Now, where is she? 
I don't know. Where is Stager? He, he's out in the warehouse. Which one? Number three. Take me out there. No, I won't. No, 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 wait a minute. Now take me out there. Take me out there or I'll kill you. I mean that. All right. All right, I'll take you out there. Where, child? He said he was coming here. Don't play with me. Don't tell me anything but the truth. I'm not. I'm not. He said he was coming here. Huh? Dagger! That you, child? Yeah. What do you want? His dollar. Where is he? I'm here, Stager. Haven't you gotten yourself into enough trouble, Dollar? Yeah, plenty. What's the matter with you, child? He hit me with a gun. You're liable to find yourself in prison, Dollar. Do you know that? I've thought about it. Armed assault? That's a felony, I believe. I want to know where Ann Salivar is. Didn't know you were acquainted. Yes, you did. Tell me what you did with her. I didn't do anything. Where is she? I don't know. This is another example of these halfway accusations of yours with no proof. You can't find her. It's quite possible that she left town. You wouldn't let her do that. You don't know what you're talking about. And I've heard enough. I think you've lost your mind. Stager, don't. Don't leave. I'll kill you if I have to. No, you won't, Dollar. Because you don't have proof of anything. Well? <laughs> Oh, you killed him. What's the matter? Are you crazy? You killed Stager. No, I didn't. But you might not be so lucky. So don't do anything I don't tell you to do. No, I won't. I won't. I won't do nothing. What do you want from me? Take me to that deputy sheriff. I want to be arrested. Expense account item three, $100, retainer for a lawyer in Farmington, the county seat. Ann Salivar was found in the building where she was being held and she was released. The rest of it is up to the treasury men who moved into Stanley Springs after I gave them my statement. Remarks? I won't total this account at the moment as I'm mailing it from the county jail where I'm being held on the charge of assault with intent to kill. The word is that I'll be freed on the grounds that my assault was justifiable since it was the only way to stop a man of Norman Stager's power. So I hope to see you soon. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's special guest this evening was Olga San Juan. Featured in tonight's cast were Ray Hartman, Bill Conrad, and Herb Butterfield. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dick Cutting inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Since the fighting began in Korea, prices have been mounting throughout the country. The cost of living today is at an all-time high, and under pressure will rise still higher. We can protect ourselves, our families, and our country against dangerous inflation if each of us will resolve to pay no more than fair prices, to watch for repeated price rises, to buy only what we need, and to refrain from hoarding at the expense of our neighbors and our country. Fight inflation by following those simple rules. Stay tuned now for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you laugh at Jack Benny every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Thanks for joining us, everyone, at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Reviews are greatly, greatly appreciated for 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon.